was like, I have to run. And I remember like my husband was like, I haven't seen this happy in months. And I ended up meeting a couple of moms that lived in my neighborhood. And we just started meeting like at 5 a.m. every morning to run. You know, I kind of like found running again in a whole new way as a mom. And it's, I think finding running again in motherhood has like saved me. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 38 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm stoked to share Diane Neubauer's inspirational story. Diane just rocked a 245 marathon at the McCurdy Micro Marathon, destroying her previous PR of 307 by an astonishing 22 minutes, just 13 months after having her second son, Noah. Diane was living on a military base in Germany with her Air Force husband, Andrew, and their newborn baby, Luke, and was struggling with postpartum depression anxiety. A chance invite to a seven-mile race from a mother-based running group, Stroller Warriors, changed everything. She laced him up, showed up, and nursed Luke before and after the race, and said it was the first time she felt she could breathe in so long. Quote from Diane, finding running again in motherhood has saved me. We discuss growing up in a competitive athletic family, a military family that's on the go moving every one to three years. The influence of her dad, a former marathon coach at West Point who ran Boston and has a 251 marathon PR, as does her brother, family bragging rights. High school, college running. Key coaches, mentors, Aaron Flynn, Joe Dare, James McCurdy, community, girls on the run, stroller warriors, helping other mother runners, coaching high school cross country, giving back, race day mantras, fueling, goal setting, chasing your dreams, Olympic trials qualifier. Connecting with James McCurdy via referral from Coach Joe Dare brought them together. And for the past 13 months, they've been pushing really hard with the number one focus on remaining healthy. But having a coach, James, who believes in her dreams has been life-changing. And having the opportunity to work together for 23 miles in this race with a teammate, Michael Purley, no doubt helped them both achieve their goals and a first place finish for Diane. The power of community and the role running plays in helping us find the best version of ourselves truly resonates in this episode. Hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did, so let's dive on in and take a listen. Diane Neubauer, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited that you could join me so quickly after your amazing race most recently. Uh, it's awesome when the timing works out like that. So thanks so much for juggling your very busy schedule and working to, uh, to get you on here as quickly as we could. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Cool. So tell the Run Chats audience a little bit about where you grow up, what was family life like as a kid? Just give us a little background on yourself. Sure. So I grew up as a army brat. I think, you know, that's what we get called. Um, my dad was career army. 
Um, we moved around a lot. Mostly we stayed like on the East Coast. Um, I did do a couple of years of high school in Iowa. So in the Midwest, uh, we overseas for a little bit, um, but a lot of time in Northern Virginia. Um, my mom was a nurse. Um, I'm one of three kids. I have an older brother, two years older than me, and a younger brother, two years younger than me. Um, so only girl. Um, but my parents had us in every, you know, I think you asked like every sport growing up. I was really bad at everything. Um, really uncoordinated. Um, so, but we tried. Uh, so when I found running in high school, uh, I decided I wanted to run. We had just moved to Iowa. I was like, I want to make new friends. And uh, uh, cross country had like a preseason camp before school started. So that was like the perfect uh, leeway into, you know, getting to know some people as the new kid. What a great way to make friends, right? Yeah. So that kind of started my running career. But yeah, I mean, I I had a great childhood, um, you know, athletic family. My dad was a runner. Um, we joke, my mom has some like health issues, like, um, but she's super competitive and super driven. And she would have been an Olympian if like her body let her, so... Love it. And we share the middle child syndrome. So we're always like, you know, we're fighters naturally. Uh, we, we're, we're fighting to get attention because, you know, the firstborn always gets usually the most attention. And then, you know, you got your younger brother or younger sister to look out for. And, you know, I know me, I was always like standing on a table, just like yelling as loud as I could, mom, mom, I'm here, I'm over here. And that's why I always talk loudly, uh, get attention. You always got to get your mom's attention. So that worked for me. I don't know. Did it work for you or you didn't have, you didn't have these issues yourself? I feel like I have middle child syndrome a little bit, but I was the only girl. So I don't know. I think it kind of helped. <laughs> yeah. And now, uh, how are you tight with your brothers? I am. Yeah. We're all super close. I have a brother who lives in Philly um, and a brother who lives in Denver. And they both used to run. Um, my little brother, his first marathon, he ran a 251. So I was proud that I beat that finally. Uh, the family record, him and my dad were like tied. Um, so but that was before chip timing and they're joking. Cause I ran in, uh, the endorphin pros and they're like, yeah, but you had carbon plated shoes. So very competitive, but I think they're going to let me have the family record. Um, but yeah, we're super close. Um, you know, even though we're far apart and COVID's kind of made it hard the past, you know, year or so to get together, but every chance that we can, we definitely do it. That's great. You got to love, you have sibling rivalry going on, but you got dad rivalry. You got the whole mix in play. And I just love that stuff. And trash talking has to be involved when it comes to family, you know, <laughs> family prides on the line, fastest runner, you know, that's all, that's all they had. They had to go somewhere, carbon shoes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, you, you can't, that you, you earned it. It's, you know, hands down too. six minutes. I mean, you know, for everybody at home, you know, we're going to spend the balance of the episode at the end, really just talking about Diane's amazing race recently. And it was at the McCurdy Marathon, right? Yes. Where you ran 245, uh, just like totally, absolutely crushed it. And your PR before that, if I think I remember correctly, when we we're changing notes back and forth, was it 307 coming in and you ran 245? It was. I ran um, 307, gosh, I'm going to, a fall of 2018, I believe. So between, I've had a, between that, you know, time of span because it had been almost two and a half years since I'd raced. Um, I had my son and then COVID happened. So that was really my first opportunity to run a marathon. Wow. Um, just amazing. Um, I love to hear 
uh, stories about people taking, you know, huge chunks of time off like that. But there's so much else that we want to get to first, like leading up to your big race and all of that. Um, and I definitely, I love uh, people from the family side that have that that competitive uh, juices juices flowing. Clearly, you have that in your family. Uh, the competitive spirits there. And, you know, it exists amongst the mom and dad, of course, as well as your brothers. And I just, I think it just makes great dynamics. It, it just, it's great energy. It usually extends to everything. It's in sports. I mean, even if you're playing Risk or Monopoly or games, it's like nobody ever wants to lose. Everybody wants to win. And I know myself, I have only one son, you know, only child, my ex and I, she was a 253 marathon race to coach her. And um, I never let my son win in anything. And people used to think I was crazy. I was like, absolutely not, man. He's going to have to kick my ass if he's beating me at anything. And I will never forget the first time he smoked me at the Spring Lake five-mile race. I had him in my sights the whole way, just thinking I was just going to run him down. And I got to the last corner, which was like maybe three quarters of a mile to the finish. It was one of those long finishes like Boylston is for Boston. And he just ran away from me, man. He just like put it into hyperdrive. And I was so proud of him because, you know, like... and totally cool with parents who are the other side, who like really encourage their kids and always want them to feel that super positive self-esteem. So they kind of like let them win and stuff. But I, that was never me, man. <laughs> I was like, you're going to win something, man. You're earning it. I don't care what it is. So it's just fun. I love to hear that kind of family dynamic stuff. Yeah. My husband did not come from a competitive family. So he's like, oh man, like we're playing a game tonight. Like it's like, if my brothers are there, you know, a mom or my dad, it's bad. Yeah. No one wants to play games with our family, but it's fun. It's all in love. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably, it probably took time, right? You had to kind of bring him into the fold. You probably had to bring him in slowly and just like get him adjusted to all that. Because obviously if you know he's a keeper and you want him and you want him to be part of it all, you got to, you know, these are the, this is the things that we have, the family dynamics. You got to figure out, okay, my mom's this way, my brother's this way, and we want to make sure he sticks around and he's part of us for the long haul. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. So, um, so sports, you said you were uncoordinated. I find that hard to believe, um, but I'll take you at your word. So other than running, you, you really didn't play any sports in high school. Just, just got started running when you moved to Iowa. That's when it started for you. Right. And you ran on the team. I did. So I ran cross country and I ran track. Um, and we spent the first three years of my high school in um, Iowa. I went to Bettendorf high school. So that was, um, had an amazing coach there. Um, so I, you know, I think my freshman year, I found a lot of success. Uh, I went to like States in the cross in cross country on the team. And then also in a couple events, um, in track. And what was your favorite event back then? I think like the two miler or cross country. I mean, track wise, I, you know, I think we only did the 3000, so it wasn't quite two miles, but anything longer, like I always loved, anything longer and like I could run like the same pace for the two mile close to like the one mile and like my 800 was like half a mile like you know I was definitely always knew I'd be like better at the longer the race went the more successful I was at it the endurance gene was there and um it's funny as runners, you know, we really don't know what we're really suited for or predisposed for. And sometimes it takes, you know, a good coach. Sometimes it just takes jumping in, you know, a coach throws you in DMRs or puts you in different events and, you know, it just kind of naturally, you know, evolves to the surface um, or you figure it out. Um, but yeah, you have that feel. If you like the longer stuff, 
you enjoy it. And, you know, I was a college baseball player. So the only running I ever did was stealing bases and catching, chasing down balls in the outfield. But I loved running. Most kids viewed it as a punishment. Most of the coaches gave it to us more or less as a punishment. You know, go run stairs, go do this, go run laps before batting practice. And I never really viewed it that way, but I never ran in a race, you know, until like my, my mid thirties. So for me, my whole experience with marathon running in Boston didn't start to my mid thirties. And I, I ran in the 99th and the hundredth Boston. So, um, it just was epic. And, uh, you know, the, that experience of being there for that and still doing it today, you know, qualifying by, I don't know, like 42 minute buffer or whatever I had, um, to be there for the 125th, it'll be pretty insane. Cause there's probably not going to be that many people that ran in the hundredth and be in the hundred twenty fifth. There'll there'll be some for sure, but it won't be a lot of people. So that'll be really neat. Now, did your dad run Boston also? He did. Um, so we were pretty little when he was doing his marathons. He used to be the marathon coach at West Point. Uh, he taught there for a while when we were little. Um, but he was always, you know, super fit in the army. You know, he got out of the army when I was a senior in high school. So, I mean, he would, and like, he would not take it easy on me, especially as I, when I started running, like I would cry, like, I'd be like, this is so hard. I hate running. Why do I have to run? And, you know, I think he saw a little bit of talent there, but you know, my work ethic and I mean, running's hard when you first start, right? Like for anyone. Um, but yeah, like he, he's like a beast still. He doesn't run so much anymore. His back's all messed up, but he... He walks and um, lifts weights, you know, every morning. But yeah, so seeing him, like I always knew about the Boston Marathon. I didn't run a, a marathon until I think it was 24, 25. Um, but I was a teacher right after college. And I remember like we did the national anthem every morning. I taught at Catholic school and we do prayers. And I remember thinking that Boston was happening and that was the year of the bombings. And after that happened, like I was thinking about it. And then, you know, but later that day you heard about what happened and how awful it was. And I was thinking, man, I really want to run Boston. Like my dad ran Boston. And then, you know, when the bombings happened, I was like, I really need to do this. And that, um, I had done some halves, but that's when I kind of started that next fall. I did my first marathon. I think it's more common than you would think how it inspired people in that way. Um, so many of us, when something tragic happens or bad happens, a lot of people are just fearful or they get scared or they retreat further. Um, and that was one of the years I wasn't running Boston. I was on a company retreat. You know, we were down, I don't even remember what Island I was on and my phone just went bananas. Like everybody, it just went crazy. Everybody was like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not in Boston. Like what's going on? Cause we, I don't remember where we were. We're out of the country. It was an Island somewhere, but not great media coverage. And then all of a sudden it started to come into focus and it was just like, wow, like, yes, um, this happened. Like beyond belief and to take something so precious, um, to the whole community up there and to all runners. And just, um, a lot of people do go the other way, but a lot of friends of mine who hadn't run in years or had maybe not even run their first, that was where they were inspired. They said this, I want to run Boston one day. I want to go back or up to Boston and I want to take part in that. And obviously, you know, Meb winning it that next year is just one of the most epic things of all time. Um, you get chills watching it over and over and over again. And the, the 2018 race, the monsoon race, I actually have my Boston official finisher shirt signed by Meb and Dez. So they're the last two American winners, but also, you know, 
on that, you know, we finished in 2018 and just the most historic, insane, insane conditions ever. So super cool that something bad got you thinking about that and, and said, I'm going to, I'm going to take this step. So did you just start out, you know, and just said, I'm going to run a marathon. Did you put a plan together? Like how did that first work for you when you first, uh, you know, made that decision? How did you work the process? Oh gosh. So my first marathon was a disaster. If you want to look up my time. Um, I think it's been said before I ran 350. So I think I came in like I, at the time, my PR for like the half was like 137. So I was like, okay, I can qualify for Boston easy. And I was training a little bit. So on my long runs with my brother, who was way faster because he ran 251. So he would just like kill me. I mean, I don't think I really understood distance running. My dad kept saying like, your first marathon is just an experience. Like, don't just like do it. And I was like, I'm going to qualify for Boston. This is going to be easy. And I like hit mile 20 and hit the wall. And I think I walked like the last six miles. I mean, it was terrible. Um, so the next year I came back with like a solid plan of, you know, I, I couldn't even tell you how many goos I took. I mean, I'm sure my nutrition was terrible. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but you know, you learn. That's first off 350. Um, I can tell you firsthand and you know this too. Um, there are many people who work their whole lives and maybe will never run a 350. So, you know, you don't mean that in an insulting way to anybody else, oh, but no, you know, you're, not. you're saying it as if like it's a bomb and it's a disaster. And sure, you may have walked the last six miles. I mean, I similarly in New York on first Avenue, I've told the story in the pod multiple times. I had to go to the bathroom on first Avenue because I'm eating like power bars, like they're candy. I don't know that like, this is going to make me have to go to the bathroom. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. You're talking about not knowing what you're doing. I had no clue what I was doing out there, you know? And I went in there to that stall, which was a real bathroom. It was not a port of john It's where the basketball courts are on first Avenue. And I, I actually could not get back up off the stall. Like my, my legs were locked. They were literally locked. Like somebody cemented them together. And I was like using my elbows to kind of pry myself up and got back out there. And I finished and I had to walk a bunch, but 339 was my first one. And, you know, you don't forget that, but it is just like your dad said, it's an experience. Hey, you could have punted. You could have not walked the last six miles and got out of there. I could have like stayed in the, in the bathroom there and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I think I, where I was in First Avenue was probably only 17 or 18 miles. And I still had like another eight miles to go. So it was going to be a pain, pain situation. But you know what? Those situations, a lot of people, again, they run for cover. You know, they're like, I'm out of here. This isn't for me. Or how many people say, I'll never run another marathon again. Like, after they cross the line, but then they come back and they put a real plan together and you figure it out. So that was your first experience. Um, and where did you go from there? I ran, so that was in the, I was living in Philly at the time. So I just did the Philly marathon the next year. And I was coaching at the college I went to. Um, we had a new coach come in that didn't coach me in college. And his name is Joe Dare. He still coaches like in the Philly circuit, he's at our, I tell him he traded to the bad side. He's at Gwen and Mercy now, but I was like, Hey Joe, I want to run. Like I want to qualify for Boston. Like, what can I do? And he just set up a really simple plan. Like it didn't even have much speed work in it, but just to help me, you know, build um, volume at the time, you know, I was teaching and working a couple jobs. I was like, I can only commit to five days a week of running. So it was a very simple program, but it got the job done. I, you know, ran and qualified for Boston. And, you know, your relationship with Joe, um, what was that like? I mean, he, I think, 
I like feel like he's only a few years older than me. Um, but we're still friends today. He just had his first baby. So that's super exciting him and his wife. Um, but I think he just is really like passionate about running and he just like always is telling people to kick butt, but like it was the, the first time someone like really took the time to like be like, you can do this and kind of invest, invest some time in me and like that it mattered that I wanted to qualify for Boston and that I could do it. Yeah. I think, um, one of the things I always like to dive into is the impact, you know, people have had for us in our lives. And, um, it can be a mom or dad, it can be brothers. Um, it can be a teacher in school. It doesn't have to be about sports. It can be somebody who just, you know, helped you become a great writer or something that really matters to you outside of your running life. And, you know, the impact, it doesn't have to be from somebody who's a lot older than you. It could even be somebody who's younger than you. We never really know, you know, the mentor-mentee relationship, or even if it isn't a mentor relationship, but just somebody who believes in you, someone who actually, and it doesn't have to be about speeches and rah-rah. It's just that you just know that they know that you can do something more than maybe you think you can, or that they just know that no matter what happens, you're going to do even better than you even dreamed of. And, you know, finding those kind of people along the way in our life, it really helps us. And it just prepares us and sets us up for success. And even if we hit a really hard day, we still handle them better. And when we hit rough patches, in, in particularly in races, you know, the thoughts that we develop and you know, the feelings that we develop and, you know, the the confidence maybe that really kind of comes to the surface. It's very different than just believing in yourself when other people who really matter to you, of course, your husband, your wife, you know, your significant others, you, of course, they believe in you. They're always going to be by your side, but that's why that coach relationship, you know, matters so much. Yeah, for sure. And he was so nice. Like he did it just kind of on the side, you know, I'd always be asking him like, Hey, like, what do you think I should do? So, um, that was, you know, that was awesome. And he was able to run, you know, with me and kind of pace me, uh, for most of the marathon. I think he jumped in like halfway through, um, I know you're not supposed to do that, but, but that was super helpful, uh, for like pacing and, and strategy wise. So that was super, you know, it was super exciting. And because, you know, Philly is such a late marathon for people who don't know it's November. I didn't qualify for Boston till the next April. Yeah. The whole pacing thing that always bothered me. Um, and even I'm, I'm even just speaking from experience that my ex and I are like the best of friends today and we're divorced for a really long time. You know, my son's just grad, graduated college a year ago already. He's 23 years old. Um, we met through running and I coached her for years and I just, I thought it was absurd. I mean, women can pace each other, men can pace each other, but a man can't one run with a woman if it's his wife or his girlfriend, or even if it is a coach, like I just, you know, and then you can have real pacers at races, right? At all of these like meets and other races, it's completely okay. And Kipchoge and the elite women can be paced in elite races. So the whole damn thing just doesn't make any sense to me. We run up alongside people at every level, five hour marathon, four hour marathon, three hour marathon, two hours and 30 minutes. That's what we're in it for. I've always found people who needed me, you know, and I've always tried to be that person who'd help somebody else. If I didn't even feel it well that day, but somebody came up on me and said, oh man, you've really been helping me. And, you know, just stick with them. You know, even if you're not having your best day, you know, what a difference it makes. And I used to run with my ex a lot and, you know, I'd run, you know, back then I could run a 240 marathon and she was running 253. So like, a half marathon pace for her, a PR would be like, 
marathon pace for me. So we were like great to be able to kind of help each other out. And then girls that she compete with in races be complaining and stuff. And it's like, what are you kidding me? Like you think she can't run that fast if I wasn't running with her? So I know exactly what you're saying. Um, and I just don't, the whole thing doesn't really, doesn't really jive with me. So um, where did you go from there? So that was, you know, your first qualification for Boston. And what time did you run in that race when you guys like worked, worked together and, and pulled together such a great day? 327. 327. So a huge gain. So you go, you said 350, right? Or something like that. So you go 327. And how did you feel? Like, I mean, you had to feel like super strong, super positive, right? I mean, how did the day, how did the day go? I mean, I felt great. I don't think I ever like, I mean, I guess looking back, I probably felt like some pain in that marathon, but you know, it was just like one of those, like we had the pacing plan. It followed to a T I never really hurt. I mean, like the last mile, I mean, I'm not, I, everyone who runs a marathon hurts at some point, but you know, I made my goal and, um, that was super exciting. Um, yeah, it was just a great, you know, I, if I look back, that was like one of the not most effortless marathons, but just like a really great day. Fantastic. And they do happen. Um, they don't happen that often, but, but they do happen. And some days, you know, it also, the weather plays such a role, um, like 2018 Boston, so crazy. Um, that year, six days after the monsoon in Boston, I ran London and it was over 80 degrees in London. So, I mean, running a marathon six days apart would be one thing if it was like Boston and New York City. It's Boston and London, man. You're getting on a plane and flying across the pond. Total time change there. difference. You know, you're, you're, I was in the hypothermia tent, man. My body tent was like, I don't even know, like some crazy number. I don't even want to say it out loud, but I know one thing, man, I was like frozen and they couldn't warm me up and they finally got me sorted. And then you go, you go from hypothermia to heat stroke, which is my favorite post on Instagram, you know, hypothermia to heat stroke in six days. But, you know, so the weather, when you get a good day, you know, then the nutrition, it still matters, but it's not going to impact you as much. You get a really warm day, you mess, don't get the right amount of electrolytes in, or you get too much water, you know, you got hyponatremia, you got all these crazy things to worry about. What do you use? Um, what do you personally like to use in terms of like gel drinks? Like, what do you use out there? You know, when you're racing? Well, since working with McCurdy trained and James, we've really worked, you know, I've been working with for 13 months. Like we've really worked on our nutrition um, for race day. And so I use UCAN before. So I kind of preload with a little bit of UCAN and their hydrate. And it's been like a game changer. I use it for all my long runs, all my work, uh, like workout days. I'll, I'll drink it. Cause I'm a early morning, you know, with the young kids, I get out the door super fast. So I don't even drink coffee. Most days I literally roll out of bed. Um, so I do, you can, and then I've, I've stuck with hammer gels for, I've probably been taking them for like, I mean, I've taken them the past few marathons and I just haven't, they work and I haven't swayed. They're pretty low in sugar because like some of the higher sugar ones really mess with my gut. Um, so that seems to work. And I do, I like the preload because then I can start taking gels in an hour versus a half an hour. But I would say this past year, I've really practiced, you know, I used to be like, oh, I feel good. I don't need a gel or like, oh, I'm going to end my long run at two hours and five minutes. I'm not taking that two hour gel. And James is like, no, take the gel. And I had no nutrition issues this marathon, like even taking, I think I ended up taking four gels, but like, it was fine. Like where normally I'm like, oh God, I have to take this again. Like, this is going to be awful because I didn't always practice it on race day. 
that's such great advice. Um, so now at this point, we're transitioning into you um, connecting with James and starting to work with James. And um, I've had at least two, maybe three of his runners on my show at some point or another. I met James down at the Houston Marathon in maybe 2018. Great guy. Um, we just had a chat. Uh, he was talking to a couple of his runners and I knew them well. And, um, you know, so I know his reputation is super in the run community and he's doing good things. How did you end up working with James? I mean, did you just like find him on Instagram? Like did friend of a friend, like how did that work out? Cause I always like people to share this stuff because somebody might hear it and say, oh, okay, that's how they chose this coach or how, cause it's, it's important. It's not just, you know, you're working with a coach and they're great. Like how did you end up like working with him? Okay. So I guess we can backtrack a little bit. So I ran Boston 2016. I got pregnant right away with my um, first son, who's now four. His name is Luke. And, um, you know, obviously I ran a little bit through my first, second trimester, kind of stopped running. Um, But I did, I guess when he was 18 months old, I did the Frankfurt marathon and I ran 307. And that was like a huge breakthrough um, coming off you know, there was a lot of stuff going on after he was born, but I found a good group of moms to run with. And we kind of, you know, I just started running more miles and running really consistently. And I saw a lot of progress. Um, pretty much right after the Frank marathon, um, I got pregnant right away with my second son. Um, so I was very lucky. I ran up until I was like almost put on bed rest at 35 weeks pregnant. I did the Paris marathon. Um, I did a couple halves with friends. Like I, that baby, he ran everywhere with me in my belly. Um, and I was trained, you know, I had him and I had qualified for Boston 2020 and, you know, I really wanted to make running a priority after Noah, he's um, 18 months old now was born because I felt like I kind of lost that with my first son. And I just know, like I'm a better person and mom when I have running in my life. And so I think the goal to look forward to Boston was like huge. And I was um, using kind of the same program, which was based on Jack Daniels, you know, kind of his book and what friends, some friends had helped me piece together um, things and using your VO dot, which um, James also uses. Um, So um, I'm training, you know, for, Boston and I'm seeing like really good improvements in my workouts. Like one workout, I almost PR'd my half time. And I'm like, I feel like I could break three hours, but like Boston might be too soon. I had two C-sections, like, you know, I wasn't sure it would happen. And then Boston got canceled. And I was like, well, here I am. I'm running the highest, the highest mileage I am. I'm getting to be in like the fittest shape that I've ever been. And what do I do with this? And I was still, I still kept in contact with Joe and he had recommended McCurdy trained because one of his friends who um, OTQ'd under James, um, he's like, she loves him. Um, And so I reached out to him and then he called me and I had reached out to a couple other coaches. And the minute I talked to him, I'm like, sold. I want to, you know, I want to coach with you. All right. I want to work with you. I want you to be my coach. (laughs) That's great. I love the backstory because it's important um because yeah some people just go online and there's a lot of tremendous coaches i i the depth of coaching that's available to runners has never been so strong and so sound uh, filled with just so many 
terrific choices. If you want to become a marathoner, a good half marathon or a miler, uh, you want to focus on track and field cross country, you want to become an ultra runner, across any discipline, you can find someone with real expertise and real skill. So I, I do always like to kind of connect the dots on that. That's great. Now, I know, you know, you had mentioned, you know, when Luke, maybe, I don't know if it was after Luke was born, you know, that you had some struggles or difficulties. Do you want to talk about that at all? Because I've had a couple of moms on here have talked about postpartum before, just a couple episodes back. Uh, Kristen, Kristen was on and I just love her, just love her to death. And um, she's doing great things. I mean, she lost uh, one of her, maybe her best friend or one of her best friends in the world to postpartum. And, you know, she started a charity initiative and they're raising money for the family and, and they're doing a bunch of, uh, I knew they do a run at Mother's Day and a few other things around the course of the year centered on it. And, you know, she's kind of made it her life's mission, blogging about it and other stuff. So if you want to, great. If you don't want to, that's totally good. It's up to you, Diane. Yeah. I mean, of course, um, you know, I think I've always suffered a little bit like depression, anxiety. Um, you know, I had some like body image and eating issues all through um, high school and college that led to a lot of running injuries. Um, and I think after I had my son, the anxiety just like crept in um, really strongly, but like, I didn't know it at the time. And, you know, with anxiety, I think most of the time comes depression because you're, I was so like anxious all the time that something was going to happen to my son um, that I wouldn't leave him. And I wouldn't, I mean, I just didn't do it, it just made life so hard. I was just really overwhelmed. And, you know, I tried, you know, I wanted to get back to running. I was very, you know, I had a, I followed a lot of mother runners and they were out there doing all, you know, pushing their kids and doing amazing things. And I wasn't doing that. And it was hard. Like it, it just made it harder because here I am like feeling this way already so overwhelmed, so anxious. And I felt like I couldn't, I didn't have an escape from, from it. Um, you know, I took my son running in the stroller and he would scream the whole time. And my husband would be like, go for a run. I have the baby. Uh, and I would run by the house and just listen, hear him screaming. And I come back inside the house and, um, it was just hard. We were living overseas at the time. My husband's in the air force. Um, so we weren't near family. Like we had great friends, but it's different. Um, so I really, you know, I had run with some other women that were moms even before I was a mom. And I had one reach out and really encouraged me. There's this military um, running group. They're a nonprofit. They're at many bases um, overseas and in the U.S. called Stroller Warriors. And she's like, we're all doing this torch run, which was this night run in Germany, like a four miler, I think. And she's like, come out and do it. And I was like, I'm not in racing shape. Like I barely have run. Like my son's seven months old. And I think like, I'd maybe run like seven miles in one go, like since having him. I mean, I would run like here and there, but it was very sporadic, not consistent. And she's like, just come out and do it. So I remember I like made my husband come because I was so nervous. And I breastfed Luke at the start and I breastfed him after the race. And, you know, I met these other moms, but I don't know if they, none of them had like their babies with them. And I'm pretty shy at first. So, you know, I, I got to the starting line, I guess long story short. And, um, I don't remember what time I ran. It didn't matter, but I think I wrote to you it was the first time I felt like I could breathe. And I'll never forget that feeling. Like it was dark. And in Germany, they have all these torches lit up, but they were like, it was literally fire torches. Like 
open flame. Like, you know, you're trying to like dodge them. So you don't catch on fire. Like (laughs) Germany has very, they have like, no, their safety (laughs) stuff is way crazier than the U S but I just, I was like, I have to run. And I remember like my husband was like, I haven't seen this happy in months. And I ended up meeting a couple of moms that lived in my neighborhood. And we just started meeting like at 5 a.m. every morning to run and on the weekends. And one of them was training for a marathon. So I was like, oh, sure, I'll keep running your miles with you. And um, kind of ended up help coaching her uh, a little bit. um, Because even though she would run a lot, like her maybe knowledge wasn't always there. Um, You know, had to run smarter um, a little bit. But that, you know, I kind of like found running again in a whole new way as a mom. And it's, you know, it's my kids know like mom runs and they get pushed a lot in the stroller. Um, They get thrown out in the garage some days when I run on the treadmill. But I think finding running again in motherhood has like saved me. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I could see your shoulders relax. I could see how happy you were talking about that. Um, and I felt the same thing, you know, talking about that really powerful stuff with Kristen. Um, it's just, it's hard for, obviously men can't understand, you know, postpartum specifically, there's no way we could ever understand, you know, we're not carrying a child. We don't have the child. We're not afraid the way a mom would be to leave their child alone when they're crying because, you know, you just given birth, he's a few months old and, you know, these are these fears, it's overwhelming, it's gripping. Um, and then anxiety, you're not sleeping well, you don't feel well, you don't feel like yourself. There's nothing about it that's normal. And the hormones are so strong. And running is running is the greatest elixir for like everything. And I just wish I could convince more people, particularly friends my own age, who just are, have all the excuses, oh, I can't run anymore, or I can't do this. Yes, you can, sure you can. Um, it starts with just, walk at first, you know, just walk and then run a little bit later. Or, you know, even if you just go on long walks with your dog, just start doing some exercise and being outside. You know, if COVID has taught us anything, man, the world's a dark place when you're inside all the time. It can be an incredibly dark place. And um, although I'll never understand what postpartum is, you know, being injured for three months and not being able to run, for 30 years of my life, I've never had a serious running injury, which most people don't believe, but it's true. Sure, I've had muscle things and ligaments and tendon stuff, but minor stuff. You know, you take a week off, you rest. You take a few days off, you rest. But I've never had a serious issue. I've never had a stress fracture or any kind of major thing. People are walking around in boots, all this stuff stuff. You see every runner on Instagram, it seems like everybody's had something happen. And for three months to have running taken out of my life, it's it's been a life-changing experience and certainly not in a good way. Um, because I just realized that I could go out during COVID times at 1.30 in the morning, because I'm a man, I don't have to worry about my safety the way women do, and they do need to worry about if somebody's following them or watching where they run on Strava or other things, these are real world things that every woman has to worry about where they run and when they run and who knows where they're going to go. You know, I went out frequently because sleeping patterns are all over the highway. People don't even know what day it is during COVID. I mean, you know, it's the middle of the afternoon is nighttime. I mean, you're up till 3.30 watching Netflix or I'm reading books and I've gone, I'd gone out many a time at run at 1.30 in the morning and came back feeling like the Pope just absolved me of all my sins. And, you know, my life was in the best place ever and slept like a baby because 
just that transformation of being able to put my shoes on. And I close every podcast saying, lace them up, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight because running is the cure for so many things that we have. And then you, by going to that seven mile run, you know, and you brought your husband and you're breastfeeding your baby, you do the run, you're breastfeeding your baby, Luke, after the run's over, but you met these other moms, you connect like instantly because it's just the way running is. There's no three month period to get to know somebody. No, you run one run together and you're friends. That's the way it works. It may seem bizarre to anybody else, but it's not to us. Like, I'll help you. I'll help you with your training. I'll do runs with you. And the next thing you know, like you start to feel completely different. Like how did it go from there, from you, from where you were, you know, before that run to like moving forward? I mean, honestly, it was just you know, I think they convinced me to sign up for Frankfurt. We did a couple halves together. I mean, we were best friends. My husband ended up deploying when my son was a year old. And I mean, we would take Luke and they would help me push him sometimes. Or I'd hire a babysitter. Um, I had one really good girlfriend who she would run with me. She was a teacher at the school and would run with me. Just be like, we'll just run after school. I know you can't run first thing in the morning anymore. And it, like thinking back, like that just meant the world to me because she made sure I like saw a human that day and could talk to a human. And like, she changed her run schedule for me. She would always drive to my house because in Germany, like everyone lived all over the place. Um, she would always say, nope, you have the babysitter. And she had older kids and she like totally got it. And I mean, just having these women that I looked up to them so much and they really taught me like how to be a mom and a runner and how to be both. And, you know, I don't think mom, all moms don't have to be runners, but all moms need to find something. And I think there is so much power in movement. Um, you know, one of my best friends, like she loves her Peloton and I don't really get it, but like, I'm always cheering her on, like, because she's a better person when she's on her bike. Like I'm a better person when I'm going for a run and, you know, COVID has taken away and we moved to like in the middle of COVID. So I haven't found anyone to run with. I've done all my training solo. Um, which stinks and there's some positives to it, but I still talk to my mother runner friends all, you know, all the time. And we, you know, they're cheering me on and cheering them on on their goals. And just like you said, like the running community is so special um, because we're there for each other, I think for sure. I mean, it's so powerful because if you didn't take that step to go to that seven mile run, you just, you don't know. We're probably not talking right now. You probably don't run this amazing marathon. You probably don't feel so like complete again as a person, as a human. Forget about running. Running is, yes, running is what this show's about, but it's so much more. It's like running makes us the best version of ourselves. I say that over and over and over again. You said it in the show. People come on the show and say it. They may change a few words here and there, but that's the truth. That's what it is. We're better spouses, we're better business partners, we're better brothers and sisters or friends, whatever you, whatever word you want to throw after it, we just are. And your friend on the Peloton, she's better. And it, it doesn't matter. You have to find your jam. That's exactly right. And whatever that is, find it. But you got to look and it has to be about movement. The sign in my sports doctor's wall, by the way, he was on the pod two episodes ago and he's done 14 Ironmans and 35 marathons. And he's one of the most famous sports doctors in the world in New York City. And you know, it's like movement, it's the giant word. It's like 200 point size. And then underneath it all is just how his whole practice is about 
getting people to move and continuing to move. And he won't put people on crutches. He just, he'll, he goes against a lot of the standard things. Now, of course, sometimes there's really no choice, but for the most part, he always wants you moving. And that's what it's really about. And we're just, we're better able to handle the darker days or the difficult times in life when we are able to exercise and move. And so I know firsthand having that taken away from me, because I would never have even had some insight into what it's like to go through, you know, that kind of battle of not, you know, being able to be light and feel good about myself and feel that energy. And right now I'm just like, you know, please bring me back. Can I, can I just go run like 10 miles or 20 miles? Can I just go run really far? I don't care what pace I just, I can't, you know, I'm not even close to healed right now. It's funny because I actually aborted my run tonight. Um, you know, I always preach all the time to all my friends and people that I've coached over the years, you got to listen to your body. Well, you know what? I don't know 100% that I'm healed yet. You know, I have a stress fracture and, you know, I didn't get an MRI after when he said to start running. And, you know, like until I do, you know, I'm not going to go out and start, you know, he's 15, 20 minutes is one thing, but really running, you know, I got to, it's not like an x-ray where I can go in if it's a fractured bone in your foot and you'll know. Like this is, you know, the knee, you know, it's like the brace point of the whole body and you got to just know for sure. So I'm practicing what I'm preaching. I'm going to listen to my own body. But although I pulled the ripcord of my run tonight, I know that better days are ahead. And for anybody else who's out there who's injured or anybody else out there who couldn't run, you know, because they were going through a tough time with postpartum, you know, find a group, find some people to connect with because it could change your life. Look at what it did for Diane. So that's, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm sure your friends who are part of that group, I hope they'll listen to this pod and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we helped. We were part For of the sure. team. We were part of the team. Yeah, that's good stuff. So you run Frankfurt. That's where you run your 307. And Frankfurt is a great course, right? Fantastic, right? It is. It was, I mean, it's pretty flat. That day it was pretty windy and cold. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt great. I don't think I really knew what going into that race, like what I was going to do. Um, my GPS was all messed up because Frankfurt, you start in the city and then I didn't really plan on, I, for some reason I should have like thought about like kilometer markings because that everything in my mind was miles. So I did so much math in that marathon. I just kept being like, okay, at the five K marks, I want to be here, but then I get there and be like, wait, but what time was it? Because, you know, I start, I didn't start like right when the gun went off and so but you know it was a great race um and that's when I was like well can I break three you know because of course as runners like and you know that competitive spirit like we want to see what's next um but we we wanted to have another son uh, or another baby we ended up having a son um so I was like okay well when can we get pregnant so I can run Boston <laughs> and you know 2020 happened and laughed you know you make plans and God laughs at you. But, um, that was kind of the plan was to, you know, let's get pregnant in this window. We also knew we were moving back from overseas. So we were, you know, kind of playing Russian roulette and it worked out. Um, and I got pregnant shortly after Frankfurt. Um, I ran Athens just for fun two weeks later. Um, probably something James wouldn't let me do, but you know, I used to live on the edge a little bit, but that was like, if anyone ever has the chance to run the Athens marathon, do it. Um, that was my most, like the most amazing experience. And that's where it all started. Um, and you know what? I think 
that's it's just part of who you are. It's part of your foundation. Um, I always encourage people to take big swings, and um, just because you run a couple of marathons close together, it doesn't mean it's going to end badly. But it it's certainly not something where you can start saying, "I'm going to run 307 now. I'm going to run 303." Like, no, it's not going to work well if you're trying to do that. But if you're just saying, "Hey, I'm in Berlin or I'm in Chicago, and I want to run this race," believe me, if you're healthy and there's nothing wrong with you. There's there's just absolutely no reason, and I'll debate anyone, including James or Greg, Mc, <laughs> Greg McMillan, my old coach. Because look, I ran all six majors in 2018, all six at 58 years old. I averaged 3:15 at 58 years old, and my times were never more than one minute apart for all of those races. So the first three were in 56 days, and the last three were in 35 days. So there was like no recover. There's like no recovery time, and I ran two halves and a 50 miler in that same year. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I, like I said, I never had a running injury. So this was just, it happened. You know, I ran 60 miles for Tommy Ribs and I took a really hard fall and smashed my knee like five days before and I couldn't walk. So I just figured I, you know, when you're a kid and you play sports, man, you're always smashing a body part. Like, you know, talking about playing sports with your brothers, like, come on, man. You know, I'm like, what's wrong with my knee? I just dinged it. It'll be okay. You know, little did I know it wasn't okay, but you know, I got the run done, finished. That's all that mattered. You know, so now we go back and, you know, so Frankfurt, you come back to the States, you have your second baby. Now, where are you guys living at this point? We are in Missouri. Missouri. So we were in Missouri, yeah, for a year. Okay. Kind of happy about that. It was, everyone when we were there was like, misery? Not, I mean, Missouri has cool people, but yeah, <laughs> it was just, you know, I had a baby and then COVID happened. So like, I felt like I never left my um, you know, besides to go for a run, like we just never, we were like, Oh, Kansas city's nearby. My husband went to KU. So like, he was super excited. He had friends, but by the time we were like, Oh, we can like breathe. And we've slept more than like two hours with the newborn and a two-year-old, uh, COVID shut the world down. So. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, even if no matter where you were living, I don't care if you had the greatest house, like a penthouse in New York city, it, it, it just, it's a year that none of us are ever going to forget. Um, God knows how many books will be written about it. Too many, um, yeah. too many movies will be made about it. It's just, it's, we're part of history and not the good kind of history, but we, we've all lived through something that's going to mark us forever and ever. And, um, you know, it is what it is. And we've all had to figure out some way to make the best of it. And, you know, obviously races just went away. Um, and I was supposed to be on a plane for Tokyo. I was going the next day to fly to Tokyo to run the Tokyo Marathon, and it got canceled. And all my friends are like, oh, that totally sucks, and I can't believe it. They can't do this. And you know, people just get negative, and they get down, and they go into this death spiral. And I was pissed for like 24 hours because I love Japan. I mean, I absolutely adore going to that country. It's so amazing. And if you haven't been, you got to get over there. Um, it's really spectacular, beautiful. And I just love all the castles and the architecture and the old, you know, historic things to see. Um, and then I, I was like debating, like, what am I going to do? I'm like, I'm going to go to the Olympic trials. So this is going to blend right into our story because I got to go to the Olympic trials. I got to see a friend of mine, uh, Casey Kilareski ran, um, 243 at CIM and qualified. And I was part of a group at the time, um, Brendan O'Leary is O'Leary racing team, ORT, um, another good group. He knows James very, very well. Um, Brendan's an amazing runner himself, uh, run, run some crazy fast times, 
I think he was top 20 in Boston one year. He'll kill me for not knowing that. But um, so I worked with them and um, Casey was on my podcast and we went down to see her. Um, I got on the plane, you know, my, my plans were Tokyo were scrubbed. And I'm like, I'm going to the Olympic trials. And I got to tell you, if you were there, you would be, your stoke level would be off the hook because, you know, just seeing, and first off, you know, obviously the, the men run crazy, amazing times, not to say that, but there was just, the women's field was just, it was huge. I mean, there were just so many women there and that was the story. And it wasn't just that there were so many women there, there were so many women there that were crushing it and running crazy times. And to be on that loop style course where you could literally just keep seeing them over and over and over again. And the course was brutal, man. It was windy as hell and it was hilly. Um, rolling hills that just kind of kept coming and it really wore the field down. And you know, of course, those kind of races, you know, some people have it that day, some people don't. So there were some surprises, but you know, you run 245 and you're you're right there, man. You're you're right at the standard. Now, technically, do you have to run under 245 to qualify? Or you do. Okay. I was I wasn't sure if they gave you any grace, but I was pretty sure no. But you know, you're you're right there. What within 40. 45 seconds, something like that, right? Yeah. So, you know, I was watching Atlanta on my TV. Um, we were actually home on the East Coast, which was perfect timing before COVID. And I made my like mom and brother watch it and they're like, what are we watching? And of course, I'm cheering for like all the mother runners, but um, I mean, everyone. I mean, I think women's distance running is on fire right now. Um, but I never thought like I could even be thinking about wanting to be there one day. Um, so I think in fall, and I'm probably saying this wrong, people are going to be like, what is she talking about? In fall, they will release the new time standard, maybe late summer, early fall. And then I think then for the next like three and a half years, you have to hit that standard. I think they're going to lower it a lot. So I don't know if it's going to be reality for me to qualify, but like we have three and a half years and I'd like to try. Um, you know, I don't know if they lower it to like three, two, 37, that's going to be like something I can do, but I don't know. Like, we'll see. Well, it's, it's so exciting. I mean, just think about it at one point, you know, three hours was the dream and, you know, you're probably thinking, you know, 307, if I run 259, 258, you'd be thrilled, you know, and now you've run, run 245 and it's just such a massive, huge, just crazy amount to chunk off and not in a race where you have huge crowds, where you have like huge groups of people that you could really get in a pack and work with. Um, not to say that a race like McCurdy put on isn't doesn't have its perks as well, because you can have somebody out there feeding you your fluids, you know, going alongside you. And I think did I read in the post that James biked some part of it alongside you or no? I I don't know if I saw that or not. If if I didn't, if I got that wrong, please I apologize. No, so he was able to. So I, he biked like, cause he was biking with a runner. So he biked like the first men out in the first loop. It was, you know, you run a mile to the, to these loops and you did six loops and then a mile out. So he rode the second loop with a lead female. And at the time it was um, another lady. Um, and then I ended up passing her maybe like halfway through that loop. And then, so he was riding with me um, for a little bit. And another McCurdy trained athlete who we really work together, um, talking about like just how amazing runners are. Um, he, uh, Mike Purley, shout out to him because we met like at the shakeout run and James was like, you guys have the same race plan. 
get together. And I was like, okay. And then like, we showed up at the start line, you know, I know, I don't know this guy. He had run a two forty four in Indy. Um, I think, you know, not last fall, but the fall prior. And he's like, okay, Diane, you ready to go? We're going to go out at six twenty five, Right. And I'm like, oh man, like we're doing this. So it got, it was pretty windy and there were some like little hills in the loops, but you know, after six times around, they got pretty brutal but we just started switching off. I think like after like the first like eight miles, James is like, you guys just should switch off every mile. Now I'm like five, three and he's like at least six foot. So I was kind of laughing. So I'm like, how much wind am I really blocking for him? But just to have him and, you know, we were like, okay, an hour in, we need to take our goose, like take your fuel. Cause he was having some fueling issues that he was working with. And I'm like, right, did you get it down? Like just to have him, like, I mean, he ended up, he came in at 243. So I lost him around like 21 miles. He took the lead and I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up. My quads at that point were destroyed from those little hills. And, um, but to have him there and then James came back and biked to me in like the last mile. because I was the lead female at that point too. Um, and I, I think he came and I was like, I'm dying. (laughs) Like, I think that's what he said. And he's like, you're okay. You're okay. And at that point, you know, I was trying to like calculate like how much over, cause I was hoping for like 243, how much over time and what my mile splits were. But, you know, as a runner, you always look back and, you know, I think of the night I didn't sleep very well. I traveled all the way back to Idaho and I kept thinking, did I go out too fast? I did. I mean, I didn't, it just, uh, you know, the, between the wind, it was cold, I think. And just my, your quads, like, even James was like, that course was a lot harder than we thought it was. Um, I know they hold a last chance to BQ and people, you know, they're like these rolling little hills, but after six times and, you know, you have 20 something miles on your legs. I was, you know, I think, I think my slowest mile was like 640. You know, it wasn't like drastic, but it, it felt, it feels drastic when you're like, kind of, you know, you want to be, I wanted to be at that point in the marathon in the six tens or lower, um, but yeah, having James there, you know, he was like, just think minute by minute. And I just like, I'm like, I just need a start line to come. And it felt like it took forever, but our finish line, sorry, not start line, finish line to come. Um, but, you know, having him there and I never met James, like, you know, I'd been working with him for 13 months, but I had met him in person just the day before. And it, it didn't seem like that, you know, James will call you and text you and we were pretty open communication. Um but just having him there, you know, thinking back on it and even that day, like I'll never be in a race, like how lucky, like the, you know, what they put on was something so special because I'll never be on a race where my coach is like telling me to drop my arm a little bit. And like, cause that was the first time you ever saw me run in real life and like, you know, teaching me how to run the tangents. Cause I really didn't understand how to do that. And, you know, in a looped course that really matters, like that's what the McCurdy, you know, marathon brought. And, you know, I run alone all the time. Like, I think they're the, like, I mean, I miss like Philly and Boston, like you're never going to get that energy anywhere else, but it, I don't know. It doesn't bother me not to have it. And maybe I'll say that I'm hoping to run Chicago and hopefully there's big crowds. I don't know what COVID will bring, but I'm sure it makes a little bit of a difference, but I mean, I think we just really looked at my fitness and said, this is what I should be able to run. Let's pace smart and kind of just laid the plan down. You know, we had to take away like maybe that adrenaline and and all that extra stuff you get in in bigger races. I mean, it's just a phenomenal performance. It, it absolutely just truly amazing. I mean, you, you absolutely killed it. Um, and what an experience for you, um, to team up 
and run with another athlete. And although you guys didn't go all the way together, you know, you're able to work off each other um, and, you know, kind of help each other with the wind, et cetera. Um, and then having James there at the end is always, always a great thing. But I mean, it's, it's a remarkable performance. I mean, it's a huge breakthrough. You know, it's not like you, you know, run 250 and then you ran 245 and you come from 307 to 245. It's just an enormous, enormous chop in time. Um, and without racing, you know, where you can really hone and sharpen, you know, I'm sure you, you, you can talk a little bit about, you know, you probably did some 5k stuff. You probably did some time trial things. I'm sure you had workouts where he was asking you to hit paces and do all the things that any good coach would ask you to do, but you said some really poignant things in there. We racing is where we sharpen racing is where we hone ourselves, man. When you get into a big race, it isn't just the crowds, it's all the other people that are running by you or alongside you that you just say, hey, I'm going to latch onto this guy or girl. I'm, I, Man, I I couldn't care less if somebody is a man or a woman. And if somebody's running at a good pace and I think I'm going to go catch this person, that's it. I got to stay on their shoulder. I got to get up to them at this next hill or before the next corner, I got to close the gap. I mean, that's how you shorten a race. And when you're in the struggle zone or things are getting hard, you know, you just try to, whatever you do, man, look down, you know, look ahead, you know, just look for three traffic lights, but don't keep looking at your watch. Just do anything you can to just, you know, try to shorten, you know, that mental battle. And that's where I think like mantras are so important, you know, into the mindset game while you're working, you know, fueling is so critical, man. If you screw your fueling up, no way are you running a 245, a 307, whatever time you're shooting for, that time is a 317 and it's a 255 because if you don't get your nutrition right, you will fail. You will unravel. And your worst mile won't be a 640 when you're running, you know, 620 average or 625 average. It's going to be a 740 or an 840. Um, and that won't be one mile. That might end up being four or five in a row. And it might even devolve further. So it just depends on the heat, the humidity, the wind, and, you know, how badly did you miss? You know, how many calories under are you? How many fluids short were you? Um, and then you, you go from there. So... I mean, what what a cool experience. Now, did you guys get to all hang out after the race? We didn't. So unfortunately, I flew home that day. It was really cold after the race. I mean, uh, Mike Perley and I had to go like walk and get some of our like stuff we had dropped because I started running a jacket and after the first loop had thrown it. But you know, running jackets are not cheap. So I'm like, I want to go back and get that jacket. Like and he had dropped some stuff and um we, you know, James was still race directing. So, uh, he was out there like, gosh, you know, for a couple more hours. Um, so I went back to my hotel and showered and then flew home, which I'm like, I just booked my flight or hotel in Chicago. And I'm like, I am leaving Monday, even though Chicago is closer to Idaho. I'm like, I am never seeing on a plane after running a marathon again. It was brutal, but, um, we got to do a shakeout run before and just meeting like, I mean, the whole McCurdy family, his wife was there. Um, I think he had five runners, you know, just, and she had like a four or five. And then there were some other McCurdy trained athletes, but it was just really cool. And especially on a looped course, like, you know, I passed some people and, you know, if you had a McCurdy trained Jersey on, I was like, go McCurdy. I mean, it was, it was really cool. Although I don't know how many, I would say maybe half weren't McCurdy trained athletes and, you know, the energy was there, um, on the starting line, you know, the girl, that was in the lead. She ended up dropping out. Unfortunately, you know, she said, this is my goal. And I said, well, I'm a little behind you, but like, if we ever get to, you know, like let's work together. And when I passed her, I thought she was going to try and work together, but she just wasn't, it wasn't her day. 
Um, but you know, like just, that's just runners for you. Like we were out there and we all wanted to run fast and we were grateful to have the opportunity, um, to race, um, because for a lot of us, it was the first time in a long time. I was very lucky. I ran gate river, um, in Florida, I guess it was in March, you know, that was really my first time in a race setting in over two years. And how did that go? It was windy, right? It was super windy, which I'm like, this wind, I can't escape the wind because <laughs> in the springtime in Idaho, it's super windy here, um, which I, I didn't know. I've never lived this far west. Um, I'm so over the wind. But yeah, it was a super windy day. It was my first time ever. And I, James got me in the elite field, um, which I was like, I don't belong here. Like, it, you know, like, um, you know, running next, you know, just seeing like, woman that I've looked up to and then trying to like play it cool and not being like sign me like I just like think you're like amazing um you know not that I was competing against them but I was in the race and I did well I didn't get last that was my goal not to get last and in the elite you know the 15k championships and you know I was proud of like what I was able to do and just to like I mean I think after the race I texted James and I was like I got to freaking race and it was freaking awesome because um, yeah, it was just like, it was a warm up for my, like, you know, the marathon, I think it lessened my anxiety a little bit, but just to have that experience is my first time leaving, you know, my almost two year old come August, like I had to wean him before I left for the trip. Like, I mean, I was like living the life, you know, my teammates were like, how did you sleep? And I was like, I slept fantastic. Even though like I had a race the next day, like, you know, I didn't have kids waking me up or a husband, you know, stealing the covers. Like <laughs> it was like a mom vacation. And then I had to run a race, but a mom staycation with a race thrown in for sure. Escape, escape from realities of uh, everyday life. That's great. And you know, like it has to feel like that, you know, all of a sudden you have an elite bib on and even though you absolutely deserve it, it's got to feel like that. Um, you know, one of my, uh, closest training partners had an elite bib in Boston. And although she absolutely deserved it, you know, she talked about, you know, what it felt like just like rolling up to the start line where their names are on the bib versus a number. And, you know, she's like hanging out and Des is there and everything. And, you know, I mean, literally she almost missed the start of the race, you know, just like, it was just crazy, you know, how, how it all turned out. But I mean, what a, what a incredibly cool experience for you. And, that's what I'm saying. You haven't had these opportunities. None of us have, not really. Even the few races that have been around have been, you know, wear a mask at the start, wear a mask at the finish, wear a mask at, you know, not racing when we really can race and not have to have all these crazy fears in our head. Like, okay, we can't touch elbows with somebody or give somebody a hug. And, you know, obviously it's, it's coming soon enough. I mean, you know, I know I got the J and J vaccine cause I only wanted to get one. I didn't feel like getting two if I didn't have to. And I'm glad I did. I, you know, sure. I, I'm not worried about every single metric that tells you what the efficacy is. You know, like I've never gotten the flu in my life and I've never gotten the flu shot because my immune system and my health is good, but I'm not going to not take a COVID shot because my health is good. You better believe I'm going to take a COVID shot. So soon enough, but not as soon as we want. Um, I could tell you right now, Berlin, Oktoberfest canceled. Good luck to all my friends who think Berlin's happening. Cause if they canceled Oktoberfest, I could tell you right now, they're not running the Berlin marathon. It's not happening. I hope it happens. I want more than anything in the world for it to happen, but 
London will happen. I can tell you with certainty London will happen. I know Boston's going to happen with a reduced field, and I know New York will happen. I also think the same of Chicago. Um, okay, I was like, Chicago, no, that's what I think Chicago, Chicago <laughs> Carrie Pinkowski has been race directing since I uh, you know, ran there in 1996. I ran 240 there in 1996, so that'll always be my fastest. Um, and I ran with a lot of elite women that day. Um, and I, you know, this is back before women are running the insane times they are today. And I was with them for 23 miles and just working together and just running so strong, maybe around 24 miles, they just drop kicked my ass. I mean, they went from like 233, 234, 235, 236. And then when they saw me, they're like, you ran 240. I'm like, yeah. And like, what happened? I'm like, <laughs> I, I couldn't run. I was dead. You're talking about your worst mile. I, I think I ran a 658 or 659, like my last mile. And, you know, when I, I was almost at seven flat where I'd been running six flat, 601, 603. You know, I went through 20 miles in like two, 159, 58 or something. But, you know, it was the coolest experience ever because there wasn't anybody around. You know, it was just like elite women, a couple of guys and, you know, but it was such a cool experience. So I think it's so awesome that you have all of this crazy cool stuff in front of you. And if you can find a group, um, the way you did in Germany, you know, where you're able to balance some of that stuff out with scheduling and get some people to do some group runs with, you know, the junk miles are the junk miles. Honestly, those are more for conversation and just to have some community and just, you know, blow off steam. And, you know, what, what I always, I started this podcast because, you know, that same woman I was talking about, Kate Powerty, who ran uh, 236 in Boston and she won the JFK 50, my favorite ultra right here. I got to give them some love because they're my favorite ultra. Um, she, um, you know, we talked about what what we talk about in the run stays in the run. It's like Vegas, like what you talk about in the run stays in the run. And you wouldn't believe the things that they would tell me, her and her friends, about their husbands and their kids. And I'd just be like, what? Like, what did you just say? Like, and, but that was it. And the same thing goes for me. Like, I would say crazy things back to, but you knew it was like, you know, it was like talking to the priest and, you know, confession. It was safe. It was, it was sanctified grounds. It was all okay. And that's kind of how I wanted the pod to be, like a conversation between runners, just chatting and just like talking about everything. Um, so if you can, you have this great coach, James is fabulous. It's also a great group. I know a bunch of people that run and uh, I don't know that they're all coached by James, but they're McCurdy athletes. So I can connect you with a bunch of them for your Instagram and know that they'd be good for you. Um, just to, you know, moms, runners, badasses, probably just be good to chat with and connect with and maybe meet at a race. You know, who knows? Maybe some of them are running Chicago um, if that's going to be your big goal race. So I'm not doing doing Chicago this year, but I think it's a great course for you. I mean, it's just a fantastic course. Um, the crowds are phenomenal. It's just flat as a pancake. Sure, you have a couple of rises when you go over bridges and inclines and stuff, but it's not any real hills. Although I have to tell you, that last stupid hill before you turn left at the finish there, it seems like a real hill. Go out and run it like the day before in a shakeout. And you'll be like, this isn't a hill. But, you know, at the end of 26 miles, just like you said, when you were doing those loops, it didn't seem like anything. But, you know, when you're on the fourth or fifth or sixth loop, all of a sudden, those little rises don't feel like little rises anymore. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, are you kidding me? I got to go back up this thing again. So I think, Chicago, you're rolling. And I'm sure is J James is probably going to be able to get you an elite bib, I would think, right? Um, I'm not sure. I looked, we haven't talked about it yet. So I'm still on my like no run break recovery. Good. 
I snuck out for a tiny little jog today and my body was like, yeah, I don't think you're ready to run yet. So we'll see. Well, no one's going to know that you went for a run. I mean, other than the people who listen to this podcast, so you're safe. Oh, yeah. yeah I pushed my kids. We ran to the park. I, I, I got it okayed by the coach. I, like you, you know, struggling with injury, I think, not that I can compare, but, you know, week off running, I'm like a little like, what do I do with my life? Like, you know, you just get so used to it. And, you know, I think also like a little bit of that, like, Oli- not Olympic letdown, not that I'm an Olympian, but like, you, you, you I've been training for a marathon, even though, you know, I was training for Boston. It didn't happen. I was training for the Boise marathon. It didn't happen. And, and I think it helped me because like I had three, almost three complete marathon cycles before I ran the McCurdy marathon, but my body never took that like hit that your body takes when you run a marathon. Um, so it just like had so much building and we had so much time but it was like a whole, you know, over a year process where I felt like, you know, at some points we took breaks and we did some time trial stuff and I had a big break around the holidays, but I think in this constant, like, I'm going to run this marathon for a year now and it happened and it's done. And I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, I think I achieved my goal, but now what's next and let me get back out there. But my body's like, Oh no, you need, you need a couple more days off. Nice try. But that's great, though. And I think that's one of the things the stroller is really good for, too. Um, You know, when Ronnie was little and, you know, God bless, he's 23 now. And, you know, he's a terrific runner in his own right. Well, he's not really into it right now, but I just can't wait till he really wants to get back. He still runs for sure. And he, he they go on these crazy six and seven hour hikes, him and his girlfriend in the mountains. And and that they love that. And that's wonderful that they're doing it together. But man, does he have the genes, you know, for endurance running. And just like you, man, it was like the longer the distance went, the better he did. And when he ran a 10 mile race or a half marathon, it was like he didn't slow down at all. So he'll, he'll get there one day. And that would be like the coolest uh, father-son thing ever. Like, you know, you you know, your dad was a runner and, you know, brought you all into it and then your brothers and all, and you have that kind of family thing together, but that would be the coolest thing ever to run like Boston or New York with him one day and just run a marathon together. But he better not wait too long because, you know, who who knows, but hopefully I'll still be doing this like 20 years from now or 30 years from now because people are doing crazy things, man. It's, it's amazing. You know, the longevity that people have in the sport, which is the opposite of what everyone tries to tell you. Oh, you're going to mess up your knees. Oh, you're going to mess up your back. Oh, you're going to do this and that. Like, come on, people, get a grip, do a little research. You know, you'll get hurt in running if your mechanics are bad. If you have one leg that's, you know, an inch longer or shorter than another, and you don't have some sort of adjustment, corrective wear to adjust, you know, if you have huge pronation issues or other things and you're not wearing motion control shoes, there's, these are all correctable things. If somebody's looking at how you run and helping you and just giving you some guidance, you can run, you know, and you can be healthy and you can do, do cool things. So, and I love that running's lifelong, you know, like, um, I think that's what my first coach, even, you know, when I was like 14 years old, cross country coach, like, she's like, this is something you can do the rest of your life. And like, we're still friends on Facebook and she still likes my post. If I post about running and it is something like, you know, not that, not that you can't play baseball, but you don't see it. Like running is something that you can just do forever. Maybe not a hundred percent for, for your whole life, but it's always something that can be there. It's such a great point because it's exactly why 
um, I wanted to keep playing in hardball leagues because I was a division one college baseball player. And my friends all went the beer drinking softball route and that just wasn't me. You know, you get it. You come from a competitive family. I'm like this, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to go to the bar and drink like 20 beers and, you know, be out of shape and, you know, go run around playing softball. Softball's great. You know, it's fun. It's really fun. But hardball is a whole different thing. And, you know, I quickly realized, you know, in my mid thirties, I was still enjoying it, but you know, it wasn't the same. And I was like, I need to do something else and stumbled into running and, you know, triathlon. And it's just been the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I've got friends in my seventies who are just absolutely still killing it. I know Gene Dykes, Gene Dykes has run sub three hour marathons in his seventies. I mean, you know, there's a woman in Japan, like 62, who's, who's run a sub three marathon. I and mean, there's people just doing crazy things and not just fast times, ultra marathons, hundred mile runs, like stuff like that. So that's what still ignites me and having conversations with really awesome people like you, like that, you know, their life could have changed. I mean, you could have stayed in this darker spot. You know, you could have stayed in the spot where you just weren't you and you weren't happy with who you were and you were feeling this massive pressure and anxiety and you can be overwhelmed and your whole life changed because you started running again and you met some people who you connected with the way Kristen did. And um, it just changes, it changes everything. Just like it changes for other friends of mine who've had bouts with alcoholism or drugs or other things, you know, like there's always a way if you're willing to like look around for help. But to me, running is the key to help for everything. It helps everybody who's been through any of these sorts of issues. And believe me, if depression was never a problem for anyone in their life, it could sure have happened in the year of COVID. Because for me, with three months of no running, like I just literally have to like make things up. I mean, my bike trainer is behind me. That's a real, that's my real racing bike. It's not a, a Peloton bike. And, and there's only so many rides I can do staring at the computer, pretending, you know, I really care about this ride. Um, and when I ride outside, I love it. But some days I miss just the way you miss running with groups of people, like just going on a 40 or 50 mile ride alone where I'm just like riding around. Sure, it's nature and I'm outside and it's beautiful, but you're not having a little conversation and banter with your friends. You know, you don't take a little break and just, you know, have a, you know, a Gatorade or something or eat a gel and just chat and then say, all right, let's keep rolling. Let's, let's do another 20 or 30. And, you know, so like running, that's just, that's the beauty of running. That's why it's so pure. You don't need anything. You need your running shoes and you need some form of clothing and not a whole lot, depending on where you are. You just need some clothes. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. I mean, I always talk about safety. So for women, they got to be very careful about, you know, where they go, particularly when they're running somewhere where they don't know. And, you know, is it a safe area? Did they have somebody who knows where they're going, all of that stuff. But for guys, it is definitely a lot different. But man, I know, just like you, when I could go back and do some real runs again, I'm going to be a happy guy. Or I should say <laughs> a happier guy. I am a happy guy, but I'll, I'll be even more happy. So, you know, I'm so glad that you shared a lot because it's a big part of your story. And, um, you know, I know that any other mom who's uh, had an issue like that, whether it's their first child or multiple children or whatever, or maybe they were running earlier when they had their first kid. And then after two or three, they just felt overwhelmed and didn't get back to it. Um, maybe they feel like their weight isn't good. Their body image is good. All those things you talked about. And they're just like, ah, it's not going to make a difference. Yes, it will. 
you know, it's, and it, it may be a very slow process to get to that difference. And maybe in their case, you know, you were able to connect with the women in Germany, but you know, it might have to be a Peloton, you know, use a Peloton, you know, as your way to communicate and connect with other people, because, you know, even though you don't really know the instructor, it's still, they're there, they're on that screen, whether it's a guy or a woman shouting and talking and trying to get you excited. And you see all the data coming at you and people are messaging and communicating, like you got to find a way. So that part, good stuff. Yeah. And even I think having a coach, I mean, has really helped this past year because they're checking in on you, right? Like you're, it's just another form of account accountability, but also a community. And I mean, I, I can't speak for other coaching services, but I really think McCurdy Trained has really created a community, you know, within its runners. Um, no matter if you're, you know, I am not the fastest runner of James that I coach, but I'm not the slowest, but I feel like he, you know, they do a really good job of like treating every athlete the same. Um, and creating that little community, whether it be on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, and even this past week, like, you know, James posting me on the McCurdy page, like I had so many moms like reach out to me and I love it. Like how did, what worked best for you? I just had my second kid. Like, how do you get your runs in or way to go? Like this gives me like my time is similar to you and I have big dreams like you have. And this gives me like hope. And I love, I try to reply, you know, not like I have hundreds coming in, you know, it's a few, but they really matter. And, you know, I love that just my story can, can help, you know, another mom, I think is really important or not even a mom, like anyone. It, it actually can help anyone. And I'm really happy that you say that because look, there are single dads at home too. You know, sometimes the mom has left and it's the dad's responsibility, or maybe a mom has passed on. There's all sorts of reasons why a man could be the only caregiver in a household. And you know, I don't ever want to, you know, leave them out of the equation because they can be dealing with all of these same sorts of anxiety issues and feeling like they're, it's all on them and they're trapped and they don't have that escape. And, you know, figuring out a way is just so important. Um, and like we both talked about earlier, it doesn't have to be running. It can be finding something else, man. It could be, you know, doing some online Zoom calls with other moms or other dads or any, just anything, but it is about connection and community. And, you know, to your point on coaching, you know, whether that's one-on-one -on -one with James or whomever else, because he's got multiple and uh, other talented coaches in his group, or even if it's connecting with other athletes in the group. And, and yes, it is wonderful to be seen and noticed and have other moms reaching out to you. It's wonderful because you have a chance to have an impact on other moms that are going through a similar situation. And I hope that they'll listen to this pod and hear your voice and the passion you talked about it with. Because like I said, I could see you light up. I could see a change in you when you talked about that whole experience because it's you're pr you're proud of it. It's it's you should be proud of it. It's it's really empowering to be in a tough spot like that and to be lifted up because we're not good at asking for help in life. Um, a lot of people want to help others, and we're good human beings, and we really care for others. But when it comes time that we actually need the help, we're actually not really good at it. Um, we're really good at offering help and we're really good at wanting to be a good brother or sister or a good mom or a dad or, you know, a good husband, whatever the case might be. But a lot of times when we're stuck, you know, we just don't, we don't raise our hand and say, you know, Hey, Diane, you know, I, I could use a hand, you know, 
I feel like crap lately because I'm not running, man. Hey, can you let's do a Zoom call for 15 minutes? Because to me, it's the connection. That's what I miss out of COVID. I miss running with my friends because I'm the guy who sets up all those big community runs. I'm the and they're not a lot of them are just easy social runs. You know, we have team workouts like McCurdy. I run for Central Park Track Club. Now that's you know, we have coaches on our team. I'm not coached by any of those coaches, but they're amazing coaches. You know, we have track and field, we have Olympians, we have, you know, an amazing group of athletes from sprinters and heptathletes and triathletes to all the way up to ultra, ultra marathoners, but they've been training all year and they've been following all these COVID protocols. But my mom's 80, going to be 89 and she's got lymphoma and she did get COVID during this year and came through it like a champ because she's she's a beast and she's a fighter. Um, but I just didn't want to put her or anybody else in my circle, you know, at risk. So I've missed all of that. So I know what you're saying and kudos to you for getting that work done, you know, alone, you know, getting those runs done alone, grinding those miles, doing the key workouts, doing the time trials, leading up to you getting to go to the gate run and actually get to run a real race. And then obviously, you know, coming through at McCurdy and crushing that. Well, thank you. So I want to um, ask you about community because it was one of the things that I had messaged with you back and forth and or coaching. Because I think, do you do some coaching also? Because I think I meant to ask you about that. I thought you did some coaching also, right? Um, after I graduated from Cabrini College, now university, I was their assistant cross-country coach for a couple of years before my husband and I got married um, and moved away. And then I just got hired um, the local high school here off base. We live on the military base, but the closest town is Mountain Home, Idaho. I just got hired as their head um, boys and girls. I don't know, men's and women's. <laughs> I don't know what the, you call high school kids, uh, cross country coach. So that'll start, we'll start our summer, you know, kind of workouts here. So I'm really excited, um, you know, to, I, we have like, I think it's a pretty small team, but there's some talented athletes and I'm just really excited to, you know, kind of just share my passion and knowledge and help them reach their goals. That's fabulous. It's going to be, it's going to help you so much um, because you get to take your learnings and your wisdom from your coaches that have had an impact on you and, you know, put that, you know, imprint on them. You also have people to run with now. So you yeah, and let me I tell you something. You, you said you got some talent. There's some people for you to run with right there, man. I'll be like, I need a tempo run on Thursday. Which one of you is coming to work with me? Here we go. Got to help out coach. So that's good. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, it's, it will give me some time away. Um, my kids will start like a little daycare program, Montessori school. Um, cause of COVID we didn't have them go to anything, last year and you know my son's almost four and he's like a social butterfly he needs it i have my other one's like a clingster so he needs <laughs> it so i love it so it, i think it will just be good for our family um i'm really excited about the opportunity super super that's well you're gonna have to fill us in on that and how that's going and on the community service side it's something that's near and dear to me um could you talk a little about something you've done? Because I know you had some experience there, um, both in Germany and I think in Idaho also. But just talk a little about that. Yeah. So um, with COVID, I I've been involved with Girls on the Run since college. Um, it's a very well known nonprofit organization. I started coaching, I believe, in college, and then I brought it to my school when I started teaching. 
And, you know, I coached there until I moved away. And then unfortunately, they didn't have it in Germany. I looked and I was like, oh, the elementary schools, but they didn't have it. And to bring it overseas and start a chapter seemed crazy. Um, But this past fall, I connected with the Treasure Valley group up in Boise and they needed virtual coaches because they did virtual girls on the run for girls that were doing virtual learning. And the amount of time that like Girls on the Run as an organization put in to make Girls on the Run work, because girls need it like more now more than ever was just, I mean, mind blowing. And so I was a virtual coach, like right in my bedroom, um, you know, my kids like playing and that was awesome. And they didn't have it. We live about 45 minutes outside of Boise. They didn't have it at our military base. And I'm like, I'm going to bring it here. So I did. So I just finished practice right before a call. Um, so we have 10 girls and, you know, we wear masks outside. Um, but I just, it's amazing. Like just to see, you know, it's more about running girls in the run. If you're not familiar with the program, it's more about empowering, you know, it's third through fifth graders, you know, today our lesson was on like standing up for yourself and your friends. And I just, I love that program, especially, you know, I struggled a lot of my teens and youth with body image and eating disorder and, let's talk about it now and, and prevent it um, before it can happen. Not that, not that I have that in my life, but I think just seeing, just having more and more programs and, you know, also using movement. Like we say, as long as you're moving and girls on the run, like that's okay. Like, you know, some of the girls don't like to run. That's okay. Like let's hop, let's walk, let's, you know, pick up rocks and then run to the next rocks. Like, you know, some of them are, very distractible, but I love the program. I'm so happy to be a part of it. I was kind of sad I didn't have a girl because um, I have two boys, but I think, you know, as long as I can, I'd love to, you know, be involved with Girls on the Run. I think it's an awesome program. Um, and then in Germany, I was involved with Stroller Warriors. So I kind of talked about that a little bit of, that was one of the moms. She was one of the leaders of it um, that got me kind of out of the house and said like, you know, come meet other moms. Like we, like you can stop in the middle of your run. And if your kid's screaming and cause they need to eat, like go ahead and feed them. Like, you know, it was, so Stroller Warriors is a nonprofit organization. And I was, you know, pretty involved in Germany um, as a workout leader. And then just as a, as a participant, unfortunately, the last two bases we've been at haven't had it, but they just bring moms together. You bring your stroller and your babies. It was created, I think by two women, because, you know, our husbands are always gone. Our wives, men can come too. You know, they're gone. They're deployed. They're out in the fields. They're on TDYs. So you have your running stroller and you have your kids and we're going to go run. But what I really loved about the program and really found inspiring as, you know, I had run before I was a mom, was there these moms that came out because we met four days a week and it was free. So like, and we would always play after at a park or have like a social, you know, we did some like socials outside of running, but there were women who had never run a day in their lives. And then like, were asking me to help them train for their first marathon and their whole life changed because of running and like, they still run, but the only reason they really came out for it was because they were like, I need to get out of the house. I live in a foreign country and this is free. Get outside. My kids can play. And then like, Oh wait, I like running. Like this is fun. And you know, they had, we started, you know, each season with like a couch to 5k or they started to couch to 10k. Like it wasn't, you know, everyone was welcome. That's two wonderful things. Yeah. I definitely know GOTR. Um, lots of, uh, lots of other, um, 
women runners are involved with like local chapters and talk about it with great pride and energy and and definitely the military I mean, my gosh, I mean, there's so much time where one spouse is completely gone and, you know, it is that one, one that's left on the base, if you will, or if it's an off base situation and, you know, to get together. And again, it's just movement. That's all it is. You're even talking about with girls on the run. If they don't want to run, so what? You're getting them to go outside, you know, go walk along a stream, go on a hike somewhere, go do something. And the ones who like to run, as long as you can see where they are, it's all good, you know? As long as their phones are away and they're actually paying attention, you know, to just like hanging out and enjoying each other. I'm not saying they can't, you know, everybody's going to take selfies. That's life. This is the life we live in. I'm the king of selfies, so I know all about it. But um, it's wonderful um, that you're active in those uh, particular things and that you've had an impact, you know, that getting women to run who would never have run. And now they're, you know, potentially training for marathons one day and running is playing a big part in their lives. So kudos to you on that. And, um, and for sharing your amazing, uh, running breakthrough. I mean, it's just remarkable and believe me, you haven't hit your full peak yet. You're just getting, you're just getting it together. And it's great that you're working with James because, you know, he's going to be very patient with you and, you know, he's going to put a a real long-term plan together and it's going to be exciting to see what you guys do together. I'm excited to see where you can take it from here for sure. And I'm sure everybody listening is as well. Well, thank you so much, Ron. It's been awesome talking with you. I really appreciate this opportunity. Well, the pleasure has been all mine. And before we roll out of here, I just want to make sure I give you an opportunity if there's anything else big that we didn't get a chance to cover off on for, you know, 2021. It doesn't have to be running related, just anything else that maybe you just haven't had a chance to cover. I don't think so. I think we hit it all. Um, you know, I think my biggest thing, and I think James put it like in his post, but, um, you know, I've always had like big dreams and big goals, but I don't really tell people or I'm afraid, you know, they're almost like too big, but believe in yourself. And, you know, it. I look at, you know, the Olympic trials women, a lot of them are all Americans and they were, they were phenomenal athletes in college. And, you know, the first marathon they debuted it debuted at 245 and that's not me and that's okay like this sport I think running is so versatile um and that's what makes it awesome but just because you don't line up with maybe other people that are trying similar times or similar goals as you doesn't mean you don't belong and I mean I have to work on that a lot but you know you do and your dreams matter and you don't have to you know you don't have to be perfect to reach perfection, I think is what the post said. And I think that's what, you know, I'm going to remember. And I hope, you know, your listeners remember moving forward is just, you know, keep going, keep showing up. Like Des Linden says, I think that's one of my favorite quotes. And if you want to do something like it matters and figure out a way to do it. I love it. Commit to it. Put it down in writing put it on your bathroom wall, your refrigerator, like Ogden says, write it down, put it somewhere where you can see it every single day and don't be afraid of it. Um, Anything really big in life that's really hard should be scary as hell. It should scare the living crap out of you to say it out loud. Like I want to make the Olympic trials. I want to run in the Olympic trials. Yeah, that's that's scary. Um, I don't think it's going to drop that far, 245 to 238, but it, it could, it's totally possible. Um, 
you know, some people have said maybe even 237, like you said, but it, that's still well, well within reach for you. So it's going to be fun. Um, and obviously you're willing to do the work um, and it's going to be fun to follow along. So thanks for sharing all this great stuff with the Run Chats audience and me. Um, I'm excited to keep following along. And I think uh, a lot of our talking points today are going to resonate so much with our listeners. So thank you so much for sharing all the great stuff tonight. Thank you. Have a great night and heal well, heal fast and well. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we close out every show with, we tell everybody to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. Diane's story is amazing. What an inspo. I love hearing People share stories of being in a tough spot in life, one that seems like they're not going to be able to get to the other side. And somehow they reach out to somebody. It could be one person, it can be a group. And that one person or group can slowly start to help pull them out. And I could just hear in Diane's voice when she started to talk about the Stroller Warriors in Germany and that seven mile run that she was invited to with the torches on the road. And um, she just took us out there. She took me out there and she took you out there. And you could just feel, she talked about being able to breathe for the first time. Her husband talked about it was the happiest he'd seen her in a while. And um, she just couldn't feel comfortable going out the door, hearing her baby crying you know, as she was running around the block, it was just too much anxiety and too much to handle. So it's wonderful to have an amazing mom, an amazing runner, come on and share that level of detail with the Run Chats audience. Because somewhere out there, there's a mom who just had her first son or daughter, or maybe had their third or fourth child and is facing that same sort of anxiety or postpartum depression. And I hope by hearing a story like Diane's, they'll be inspired to reach out to some mother running groups in their own community. You may not be around halfway around the world like Diane was on a base in Germany, you know, uh, in her situation, but just find out in your community what groups are out there that you could hook up with, other mother running groups. There are so many of them um, around the United States and around the world. So reach out when you need help connect with other moms for situations like this and just just incredibly inspiring to see what sort of running she's putting down and just so excited to see where she's going to take this a 245 from a 307 from a 350 starting point and I really feel like she's just getting going and what I really enjoy the most is I know how important community is to her with girls on the run coaching cross country um, the influence her dad and, and her family had on her. Um, I think um, the instinct to give back is really there with Diane. So um, sharing and trying to help other mother runners is near and dear to her and important because she had the help to help pull herself out of the spot she was in. So wonderful stuff. I just want to say thank you. We have had some amazing reviews lately on Apple Podcasts. I ask at the end of every show, and I just appreciate you all bearing with me because it's the only way that we can truly get new subscribers to sign up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your your downloads on. It's the only way we can get new listeners 
tuning into the show. The more new listeners we get, the more momentum we get and the better guests we get. People like Diane that are going to want to jump on our show and share their amazing stories. So let's keep it rolling. Um, just want you all to know how much I appreciate that. It means everything to me, just as it did that Diane shared her incredible story with me. So let's keep it rolling, people. Let's keep lacing them up. Let's keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, everyone. 